Yeah, I started doing the basic things that you should do for right. well in school. But MIT started has this, eating. Yeah, yeah, MIT has this pass no record thing. The, your first year, basically. So like, you either pass a class or you have no record of ever taking it, and that saved my what? Ass. Yo, I want to been yo. Romeo, we went to the wrong school. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Two Black Nerds. I'm Ihaya Kachuku, and on the other mic, we got... Romeo Kuihangana. And today, we're going to be interviewing founder of IndieHackers.com, MIT graduate, former YC combinator, or Y combinator, alumni, Cortland Allen. Welcome, Cortland. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, so, you know, I was actually just on, you know, Hacker News, and I see a lot of this content posted from IndieHackers.com, and I was perusing it, and I saw a Twitter handle at the bottom, and I clicked on it, and lo and behold, it was Cortland. I was like, oh, wow, here's a brother doing a lot of dope content, has gone through Y Combinator, you're kind of living the dream, MIT graduate. So I guess to get started off, tell us a little bit about yourself. How was your first foray into programming, and what made you decide to go this whole path of developer slash entrepreneur? Sure. Um, when I was a kid, my mom worked at a computer company, and my brother mm-hmm. and I, I have a twin brother, would always play games on a, uh, her computer. I remember I was in the third grade. This was like 1995. Yeah. We got the internet. We got the web before almost any of my friends had it. Like that old dial-up stuff, and Yo. I was just obsessed. Get off I, the phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hang up the phone. We had two two phone lines, too. My mom was like serious oh, about it. Oh, y'all fancy. So, yeah. So I was just on there all the time, and it got to the point where like every adult, whenever they had any sort of computer problem, would come ask me about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got a lot of encouragement from people saying, okay, yeah. You should keep doing this computer thing. You're gonna like be rich one day. So it was like the mid '90s, right? It was like Bill Gates and like the beginning of like the web. And I got a lot of encouragement. I loved it. And so I think from the time I was yeah. in like fifth grade, I was like, I want to go to MIT. I want to be a computer programmer. I want to start companies. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, Cortland, before before we we jump uh, even further, so in just like a few words, can you describe like where you are right now? What do you do on a day to day basis besides indie hacker? Just to give like the listeners more background, um, so they can get familiar with you. Can you say that one more time? No, I just, I'm just saying. Like, can you give us like a little bit about yourself? Where you're located right now? Oh and yeah, what you do yeah. On a day to day basis. Okay, yeah. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, I went to MIT in Boston, and then I moved out to right. SF. So I'm in San Francisco now. I live with my girlfriend in the Hate District of SF, and I pretty much like I don't have another job. I only work on Andy Hackers. I did contract programming for the last two or three years mm-hmm. and saved up enough money to kind of work on side projects with the goal of, of starting something that can make enough money to support myself so I wouldn't have to go back to working a job for someone else. Uh, nice. Hopefully Indie Hackers will be that. It looks like it's on track. Um, but at the very least, I'm helping other people do that or at mm-hmm. least featuring the projects of people who've done stuff like that. So my day-to-day is pretty much I wake up, I work on Indie Hackers, I like to play basketball. There's a court right down the street from me. I work out with my girlfriend. Um, and that's pretty much it. Okay. That's what's up. That's what's up. So you started off building websites during the whole, like, you've been doing that for a while. Yeah. Back whenever tables were being exactly. used to lay out websites. Before CSS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Way that is impressive. Um, so I was looking at your bio and how, actually, my mind is, wondering how was MIT let's actually first talk about MIT from two aspects how challenging was it in terms of computer science and or just their entire program and also how was it just being there as a black male because you know I was only black CS grad at Notre Dame in my year so I have a figure it's probably maybe a similar story at MIT so yeah yeah it was let's start off with the challenging part I thought it was extremely challenging yeah Uh, I was pretty lazy in high school. I was a really good student. I, just one of those naturally smart people that didn't have to study. I, I think it, I just kind of crammed at the end, you know, <laughs> and I did, I did well enough. And 
I was a little intimidated when I got in MIT. Like, I was a little bit surprised. I did well in the SAT and I had a good GPA, but still I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the school yeah. full of, like, rocket scientists and geniuses. And I went to this program they have called CPW, like Campus Preview Weekend, where you go stay mm-hmm. with somebody and preview what it's going to be like, you know, your senior year in high school. And everyone I talked to yep. was, like, working in labs and biological research in high school, and I hadn't done any of that. So I was pretty intimidated going into it. And then when I got there, lived up to my expectations in terms of how hard it was. But I gained one thing there that was like really important and that's a work ethic. Like I mm-hmm. had to work a lot to stay in to stay in school and do well in my yep. classes and that's carried over since I graduated. So that's like one thing I'm grateful for. In terms of uh being black in MIT it's it's, it's pretty good. Like it's a pretty diverse campus. Uh, there's a lot of international students, a lot of people from Africa, a lot of people from all like inner cities, a lot of people mm-hmm. from all over. I joined a fraternity called New Delta and the majority of the people in my fraternity there were you know, Puerto Rican, black, Asian, just from all over. That's a sub. So there was a lot of diversity, and it was easy to, uh, I think, for me to fit in. Word, word. So just to touch on the, just to touch on the work ethic thing, though. So the transition you said that the transition from high school to essentially undergrad was a little bit. Um, I don't want to say rough, but oh, unexpected. it was rough. You can say rough. It was. It was very <laughs> I can say rough. rough. All right. So like, so it. What what did what exactly did you do to adapt? Because I can I can imagine it just like coming from like being able to cram and that just making that it being able to just give you the grades that you need and going to a place where that doesn't work. How did your day to day change? Yeah, I mean, I can't overestimate like how lazy I was. Like one of the things that I did that helped me do better in class was I stopped playing World of Warcraft. For like five Yo, hours a day. That wow addiction. <laughs> You're probably like the raid leader. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Do it. I was. My brother and I had a wow guild and it had like 140 people in it and we were doing wow. it like every day. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. Uh, I started Sheesh. going to class, I started studying, like, you know, started going to college while yeah. I'm paying, getting, like, yeah. paying them to do. <laughs> yeah, I started doing the basic things that you should do for right. in school, but MIT started has this, eating. Yeah. yeah, MIT has this pass, no record thing, the, your first year, basically, so, like, you either pass a class or you have no record of ever taking it, and that saved my What? Ass. Yo! I would have <laughs> been, yo, that, Romeo, yo, we went to the wrong school. <laughs> I know! <laughs> My you freshman year, crazy. that is wild. Are yeah. you serious? No, I mean, they, they knew that like, a lot of kids come in here playing around, wow. and it's not easy. And I, I would have been perfectly fine. Them, yeah, wow. Dude, and we're out here not applying to MIT because we think we're going to flunk out the first year? Right, exactly. What? Man. Nope, you won't. <laughs> Man, oh. I'm telling my kids, like, yo, MIT, <laughs> first year, you're good to go. You want to be an engineer? <laughs> you're going there. So, uh, oh. wait, did you just, now, this is totally, like, digressing off of you but does your twin brother code as well yes he's a programmer word how come like when y'all gonna do this like dynamic duo type like uh, strike brother well type we would, stuff we would work well together uh actually i taught him the code he wasn't always a programmer he I mean, is a novelist he's written two books wow i mean got a programming TV. writing same thing yeah. you know you guys spend a lot of time <laughs> in a room by yourself yeah staring at a computer writing a lot of words yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> tight tight good fit so let me uh, let's go back to uh, your years during MIT. Now, did you do any internships? Like, tell me about your first exposure to the Bay Area and how you just got into this whole like huge startup scene. Yeah, I think before going to MIT, I was pretty sure I wanted to start a company. I guess my role models like before going to MIT were the bigger companies like Microsoft and yep, Google and Google stuff. Gates, but yep. once I got there, I saw other people who were like hacking on projects, and I became aware of the startup scene and Y Combinator. And I was like, okay, I need to get an SF. And word, get in the word. middle of all of this. And so after my junior year, I got an internship over the summer at this company called Big Ten Startup. And it was in mm-hmm. Soma, which is like the startup area of San Francisco. So I flew uh-huh. out to California. I'd never been to California before. Uh, and did the whole startup thing. I was just like a word, junior word. programmer. I spent the whole summer there. Uh, they gave me like a full-time offer, but I didn't want to drop out of school. So I went I back for my senior year. And it gave me a lot of confidence, I think. To know that, like, okay, I could do this. Like, there wasn't anything going on at that startup that was, like, super crazy. You know, word, it's just, word. It's just have an idea, write the code for it, hope that people use it. Uh, so it gave me a lot of confidence. And so 
that's pretty dope. So after your you graduated from um, uni, did you immediately start working on your own thing? Like, tell me like what happened up until graduation to entering Y Combinator, and just walk us through like how you got to there. So in computer science at MIT, um, it's known as Course Six Three. All mm-hmm. the all the majors are numbered. You have kind of a final project, and my final project was this program. It was basically like a Mm-hmm. an email client that would rank your emails in order of importance. So I wrote this algorithm that would try to guess whether or not you needed to respond to this email, if it was important or not. And I met up with some other grad students who were working on a similar thing, and we entered like the MIT Arab 50K business plan competition. Both of these grad students were from Saudi Arabia, and they're like, hey, Word. we know about this business plan competition. We can win $50,000. Let's all work together on it. Sounds like McCloskey, Romeo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have the same thing at Notre Dame. Oh, yeah? Dope. Yeah. Tight. Yeah, so we ended up entering that. Uh, we got to the finals. We flew out to Dubai and then presented, and we tied for first place. So we got $25,000 oh, wow. uh, to work on this wow. idea. So right out, of, right out of the gate, the day after I graduated, I had a whole bunch of money in the bank to just work on this project. And both of my co-founders were still in school doing, like, doing their PhDs. So it was basically yeah. just like we used the money so that I could afford an apartment in Boston and just work mm-hmm. on this. So for the whole first year out of college, like, I was immediately doing – a startup. We applied to Y Combinator. We didn't get in, um, but we were kind of connected to that whole scene. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's what's what, up. Why did you code that project in, if you don't mind me asking? I believe I was using a lot of PHP. Okay, email yeah. client. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, so at the product that we ended up building was not an email client we switched it over to basically like this rule system kind of like the filters inside gmail like if you get an email Mm -hmm. that matches these conditions do these other things we had all sorts of like advanced rules that gmail didn't have so you could say like you know if an email has been in my inbox for more than five days automatically archive it stuff like that uh so we ended up like kind of shying away from like the email client thing and going to that but it didn't work out in the end and we didn't raise any more money so it kind of just died and my co-founders were i think pretty cool with it because they were still in school in your opinion, why why didn't he why didn't he pan out? I'm just curious. I think, uh, for one, my co-founders and I had a kind of a difference of opinion. Like I was pretty like smitten by the whole 37 Signals idea of we should charge money for this and try to make a living. And yep. they were like the whole opposite. Like you, we should raise as much money as we can and keep it free and try to grow. Uh, and then we just ended up not raising any money at all and ran mm-hmm. out of money. I think it was a kind of a good idea. I don't know how things would have gone if we had more money in the bank. Um, yeah. But as it as it happened, we didn't raise any money, and that was it. So interesting. So like the, like reading about this, you also built another product called Task Force, which was also dealing with email. Did you take any of these ideas from this first company to Task Force, or was this Task Force V1 or something? It was like completely different. So Task Force oh. ended up... I think the way that I connected with my co-founder and Task Force is we both posted in Hacker News that we were looking for a co-founder, and we kind of kept it because I had worked, you know, in the email space before. And mm-hmm. he was like, okay, well, Task Force is this task manager I'm working on that sits in your Gmail inbox. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Like, I'm pretty familiar with Gmail and the, G- and the Google APIs for accessing Gmail, so why don't we partner on that? So we ended yeah. up uh, meeting up at a cafe in San Francisco, talking about it, and we became co-founders and started mm-hmm. working on it and got into Y Combinator, like, maybe two months later. Dang, nice. So what so I guess it's probably like my first time ever talking to somebody who's gone through Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. What exactly is the whole accelerator process like with within YC? So from the beginning what happened was we did like the paper application or the online application, filled mm-hmm. out a form, mm-hmm. uh, got in and then it was Wait, quick question. So on the paper application, I know that typically isn't there a question that says, like, what's your spirit animal? <laughs> there wasn't in 2011. <laughs> ah, okay. Or this was actually the end of 2010 when I applied, so there wasn't back then. All right, go ahead. Sorry, Today, sorry, I don't yeah. know. I don't even know what my spirit animal would be. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so we applied there. We got accepted. From there, it was on to the in-person interviews. And I think they also did, like, a Skype pre-interview before that. Uh, so we went there and it was just me and my co-founder just rehearsing over and over like every possible question. What are they going to throw at us? Um, and we went there and they asked a lot of questions that we were already well prepared for, luckily. So we gave the answers I think they wanted to hear. And the idea that we were working on task force was like a task manager for your email. 
mm-hmm. it actually lined up perfectly with one of Paul Graham's like requests for startups, or he was like, he thought like you know your email is just this giant yeah. task manager. What if there's a better API for that, uh, or a better user experience for that? Somebody should make that. Maybe you can like co-opt email because email is huge. Everybody uses it, so that's a huge business mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we ended up getting in, and from there, it was pretty much. Once a week for three months, we'd go in on Tuesdays. They would have someone talk to us. We'd have dinner and listen to them talk uh, and talk to the other founders. And then, like, once every week or two, we would also drive down for office hours with a YC mm-hmm. partner. So that would be meeting with Paul Graham or Paul Bukite, who was, like, the creator of Gmail. So it was perfect for us. Uh, telling them what we worked on for the last week, getting their advice, getting their feedback, and doing everything we could to, like, mm-hmm. grow our product and build it. I think... Probably like the three months during YC, it worked harder on my startup than I ever did at any other point in time because oh, wow. of this external pressure of like, okay, yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. look like the slacker, right? Yeah, you don't want to like tell Paul Grant, hey, we didn't do anything in the last week, or we barely, <laughs> yeah, you know, did anything. We didn't finish this feature that we said we we're going to finish, <laughs> and so you're just like, we're just busting our ass. It's working on it all day, every day. Yep. Uh, and as a result, like we made a lot of progress during that yep. time period. That's amazing. Um, let me think. Let me think. I was gonna. I had something under my tongue. Ah, right. So, how did you you built this uh, previous product, and then you built Task Force, or was started working on Task Force? But like, you only had one internship. Like, how how did you? I know you got the confidence after an internship, but just how did you acquire the skills to build out this product and being like comfortable that it will like scale or like nothing will break? Like, how do you get the confidence <laughs> to actually ship things? Cause I get stuck with like, ask Romeo. I get stuck with like launching something because I'm just like, yo, if this breaks, I'm going to have to crawl under a rock and hide from society for a week or a month. <laughs> so I mean, I think so like on, on that note, if I can, if I can chime in a little bit, I'm going to go on the limb and kind of make like a few, assumptions as far as like so i think one, one of the good things i guess based on what i heard from uh from Cortland that happened is just that almost for every single idea that he had um there seemed that there was external pressure to make progress on it so either like money from someone else or getting yeah. into yc so that kind of constantly gave him like a good a a good feedback loop in the sense like i'm working on something and actually people want to see it yeah right not necessarily just me i'm just looking at it and either i like it or i don't right so that kind of like allows him to see what other people think about it so not just like what he thinks about it because we're most people typically their own self uh, yeah it's like my hands are tied yeah Yeah. i don't don't have a choice to not release this thing because i have to yeah Uh, but to, to answer your question about, like, you know, hiding under a rock, like, I definitely <laughs> launched a lot of stuff that crashed and burned. Like, our launch for TechCrunch, for, for Task Force, yeah. we launched on TechCrunch, and for, like, I swear, like, at least eight or nine hours, the whole site was just down. Wow. I had never launched that much traffic before, and I, like, my, pro, my uh, co-founder wasn't a programmer, it was just me, and so I, like, did everything that I thought I could do to keep the servers up, and I just didn't do a good enough job. Didn't low test it. <laughs> nope, not at all. And it just crashed and burned. And that was a lesson that I learned from. But yeah. At the end of the day, like, yeah, obviously it felt horrible at the time. And I think, like, my advice to anyone, like, you know, worrying about that is just do it. I've had multiple yeah. times where, like, you know, on launch day or when I'm tra- announcing something for some product, uh, my servers go down. Even like, yeah. even for any hackers, like a couple a couple months ago, I had one thing that was on Hacker News, and I just like switched something over on my server and. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a bug that was like really hard to debug because of, of this service I'm using in AWS. It just made yep. I wasn't familiar with it, and the site was down. And I was like number one on Hacker News for like eight hours, and I had to like put up like a link to Google's cache for the site because my site was not working. Yeah. So I think like that's just something you have to. Yeah. It happens, you know. You get you learn from it, and you move on. Yeah. So exactly. yeah. Now just to, like just to go back uh, to your time at YC. So you mentioned that essentially. As far as like YC was concerned, you just had like two meetings that you had to deal, like two days where you were dealing with external people besides mm-hmm. yourself, right? The Tuesday night uh, dinner talk and meet with other uh, founders and then office hours. Mm-hmm. But now what I'm curious about is just to see from your day to day. So how was your day since you were trying to grow the product and whatnot? What was your day to day like? during yeah. that week so this was like i did yc in winter 2011 so it's almost exactly like six years ago so 
mm-hmm. a little like I'm a little fuzzy on like what it, I was doing every single day, but like I'm pretty sure it was just heads down coding all yep. the time. Like the product had like we had a feature list a million miles long of a whole bunch of different things we wanted to do. Uh, my co-founder was trying to get the word out as much as he possibly could, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was just coding all the time. So generally, when we would go to our office hours meetings at YC, it would be like, okay, we'll look at this feature that we did. Here's this new feature we did to build, you know, to grow the product. Yep. Once people refer people, or it automatically sends an email to anybody whose email you convert into a task, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I think that entire three months, I was just coding. Uh, mm-hmm. Besides that, my co-founder and I were living together, and so we would have like, you know. I wouldn't even call them meetings because we saw each other like all day, every day. Yeah. It's been a lot of time strategy. Like, what do we want to build? Why do we want to build it? And what's our ultimate goal? Yep, yep. And with Task Force, like, it was a little bit like Cipher, where it wasn't so much of a debate, but it was kind of like this pool. Like, okay, what do we want to do? And we would talk to Paul Graham about it, and we talked to other YC startups about it. And like, the answer was mm-hmm. almost always like, go, go hard. You know, try to get a million users, get as many people as you possibly can. And eventually, like towards the end of YC, we realized, like, hey, we're not going to get millions and millions of users with mm-hmm. this, like, with the kind of growth that a company like Facebook gets. You know, so, so just so just to expand on that, uh, as far as like, so you mentioned like the third stepping signal, like let's sell stuff, and uh, they typically, so they're they're like, I think not their motto, but their way of thinking is like trying to make money from day one, and YC. Uh, at least the typical startups that come out of YC are, uh, let's get as many users as possible and figure out how to make money later. What's your stance? Uh, where do you personally stand yeah. and why? Yeah, so I think they're both totally sensible ways to run a business. It just depends entirely on what your goals are. If your goal is to be a billion-dollar company and you have a product that will... Uh, that charging for in some way will inhibit your growth, then you probably shouldn't charge up front. And if your goal is not to be a billion-dollar company, then like you probably need to try to figure out how to make money immediately because unless you raise money, you're screwed. And if you do raise money, then your investors are going to want you to be a billion-dollar company. So I think it really depends on your goals. And a lot of people uh, maybe don't consider what path they want to take before they jump in. And mm-hmm. if you don't consider it, then you're probably going to be influenced by like the tech press, and just like the social atmosphere of the startup scene, which is controlled almost entirely by investors. And investors want everyone to try to go for a billion-dollar company, and they don't care if 99 out of 100 businesses fail and crash and burn as long as one of them succeeds. So I think you just have to pick your heel, the hill that you want to you die on, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do you want to go for that or do you not? And they're both challenging paths. Like, I'm doing indie hackers. I'm trying to make, you know, all I really need is a few thousand dollars a month to survive. Yeah. It's not really any less work than going for the other path. I'm still working at like mm-hmm. at least eight hours a day. Just I think the landing is a little bit softer if I don't necessarily succeed. Yeah. With Task Force, we ended up making a few thousand dollars a month, and we had to shut the business down because we owed investors money and like we were running out. With any mm-hmm. hackers, if I decide I want to go work on something else, like I don't have to shut anything down. I don't owe anybody anything. Yeah. I just walk away, and the sponsors are probably still paying me money for the people who are viewing my site. Yeah. Okay, so I think so it really so. just depends on what path that you want to take. Word, word. And really good uh, content right there. Thanks for the follow-up questions, Romeo. Um, no problem, man. Before we, I think we're like ready to talk about, like, move on to Indie Hackers and talk about that, but I have one last question. What was the stack that you used to build out Task Force with? Was it still PHP? No. I started using Ruby on Rails. And Task Force. For the back end, was it like anything different in the front end or? Yeah, the front end was like, so the vast majority of the app, like the back end was basically just an API. It was like a yeah. Rails API, but the vast majority of the app was, was the front end was JavaScript. And it was kind of like one of these single page, it was like a widget that sat in Gmail, but it was entirely like single page. So you might be com- more comparable to like a modern web app, like a Sonar was it, Yeah. Or Were you using like a backbone for that or no. what? So that's the thing. I was yeah. not using anything. I was just like doing it myself. I wrote my own kind of framework oh. for it. And like I made a lot of mistakes because it just, yeah. as far as I was aware, it was like uncharted territory. And nowadays there's like everything. You've got like Angular, Angular 2, React, and Ember. Uh, and back yeah. then, like, I don't even know if backbone existed in like 2010. Uh, it, if it yeah. did, I certainly wasn't using it. Word, word. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, actually, before we talk about indie hackers, randomly, what do you tend to use for, like, uh, your tech stack on, like, your projects nowadays? Is it still Rails under as an API or Node or what? So this is the first 
project I've used Node for on the back end. So oh, I, use, I use Ember a lot on the front end, almost everything. Yeah, that's my thing. You like Ember? Yeah, I love Ember. Ember is awesome. I love <laughs> that's it. all I talk about, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah, Ember. I literally just needs like a sticker a tattoo on his forehead that says i love ember do you dog i might as well get tomster tattooed onto my wrist you should it may i probably will to be honest but yeah no i love it it's good it's great for building products it's really easy to go from like nothing to something without having to make all these decisions that they're made for you yeah it is and i think for me like when i first started using it i was immediately i saw the value because it's like i had done task force and i tried mm-hmm. writing my own framework and i immediately saw that ember did the same thing that i was doing but like way better so I was like, all right, yep. well, like, I'm, I'm sold. You don't have to tell me any more than that. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yo, so let's, like, since we're like, let's move past Task Force and let's actually talk about indie hackers. So have we already discussed about the initial idea around, like, around it? Or how did you come like, yo, I should make like a site for indie uh founders of companies like i know a lot of people think oh hackers why are they hacking but you know a hacker's a builder a maker so mm-hmm. how'd you get this idea for it i know you went through yourself or you just like hmm i wonder if there's more people like me out there doing their thing yeah basically so i was working on i basically did a few years of contracting because we're, we're skipping a few years in the story but I did oh yeah years of contracting <laughs> saved up some money decided that i wanted to build some sort of business that would at the very least like pay for my rent and food. And from there, I could decide what I want to do with my life. Do I want to go work at a company? Do I want to start another startup? Whatever. So I was working on Task Force for a while. I kind of like bring it back from the dead. And I was trying to you know revive it and see if that could be the project. And I ran into a lot of resistance with like marketing it. Uh, and I decided, okay, like clean slate. I have this giant list of ideas that I've been compiling for years. Let me go through this, try to build it up, try to come up with like a really good idea, and then just completely yeah. work on something new from scratch. I was just assuming that like I could start something new from scratch and, and grow it faster than I could try to revive Task Force. Uh, so I went to Hacker News. And I knew on Hacker News that like probably every month or two, somebody makes a thread on there and says, like, hey, what is everybody doing that makes money? And people come in and they post, like, hey, I'm, I built this website. I built this company. And I make mm-hmm. $1,000 a month. So I was like, I'll just go through here and I'll read all these people's stories. And like, you know, maybe by reading and looking at what they're doing, like some pattern will emerge and I'll figure out, okay, yeah. here's the best idea that I can work with to to start a business. And then the process of reading it, I realized that like what I was doing myself was a valuable problem that needed to be solved, which is like mm-hmm. researching all of these business ideas. Like, because people were starting these threads and they were always getting like hundreds of upvotes. So I figured, I figured like, People actually cared about this. And I'm not the only one out here who's like reading every single comment in these threads and trying to figure out how people are making money online. Like, what if I just did all this research for people so mm-hmm. they don't have to go back through old hacker hacker news threads and I put it all on a website and they could just go straight to my website. You know, and at the very mm-hmm. ideally I'll get like a lot of traffic and I can charge like you know, make money from ads or something. Uh, right, right. The other part of it was there's this company Nomad List that kept coming up over yeah. and over mm-hmm. and over again. And every single one of these Hacker News threads. And Nomad List, for those who don't know, is... Levels. Yeah, Peter Levels started it. And it's basically a resource for digital nomads, programmers or engineers who want to travel the world while working. And so he collected mm-hmm. all this information on different cities and like how fast is the internet, how expensive is it to live there, how good is the food, etc. Uh, and put it online and ended up building a really awesome community around it, making a lot of money from sponsors and community yep. memberships. And I figured, like, okay, well, if I were to do this kind of community site around, you know, indie hackers, around people who are making money from their own uh, businesses and apps, mm-hmm. I could probably copy his model. You know, maybe I should have a forum and I can eventually, you know, charge for membership. Maybe I should find sponsors the same way he did and have a blog the same way he did. So mm-hmm. I think his, once I came up with the idea, his site was kind of like the business model behind it. For sure. Okay. And and he's also in firmly at the camp, like, I don't know, his has been very impressive to see. He is... An impressive dude if you just go to his website levels.io we'll link it into show notes but he's just built uh, a variety of different products from like the ground up and just like launch it and i'm just like oh so how do you deploy to like production or like you know how do you do zero downtime deploys he's like i don't know i just really just push a reduction <laughs> and hope it doesn't go down <laughs> you know? but uh, you know it's like impressive that's uh that's like dope so um i was actually just curious so like how is like if you don't mind sharing how does traffic look like to indie hackers on like a monthly basis or in like in comparison to like task force i realized we didn't ask how many users tax task force had at its peak so i'm actually curious how like uh the difference between like 
that traffic or that number of users and the number of users that you have visiting uh, indie hackers? Yeah, so indie hackers, I think, by far, in a way, has gotten more... No, I don't know if re- users is the right term for indie hackers. So with Task Force, it was like people Visitors. would sign up, yeah. Yeah, create an account, use mm-hmm. the app. And the big problem I have with Task Force is retention. Like they would yep. create tasks for maybe a week or two, and then they would just fall off the face of the earth because it turns out like managing a task list is work. Yep. Uh, yeah. And our app wasn't perfect at retention, so it's like that happened a lot. But I think mm-hmm. after our TechCrunch launch and like at our peak with Task Force, we had maybe like 80,000 people had signed up or something, which I thought oh, wow. was huge. But Yeah, like, that's a good amount yeah but it still was nowhere near like okay we're gonna be the next facebook really yeah like billions of people you know we can charge money later or whatever but mm-hmm. any hackers on the other hand like from the very first day that i launched it on hacker news i think the very first day there was like a hundred thousand page views or something what? Um, yeah it was like at the top of hacker news from thursday morning to like friday afternoon it was like number one or number two and since then it's been like pretty good hacker news is by like far and away like my main source of traffic yep Okay. I mean, so like that's probably yeah. like where your main audience is. So yeah, yeah I mean, nice. I based it on like these threads and Hacker News because I knew, like, my whole idea when I was starting it was like I don't want to start with an idea that's going to be hard to market. I know I'm a programmer at heart, and like I don't like marketing, so I just want to do something where marketing it's going to be very easy. And mm-hmm. I, since I already knew the Hacker News audience like loved, you know, looking at these kind of stats and these interviews, like I might as well build something that they're already going to like. And so like yeah. almost if you like, I posted a tweet. From the Andy Hackers account yesterday, actually showing my traffic week to week, day to day, month to month, uh, in the last three months since since launching, uh, and you can see like it's if you look at it daily, it's like mostly flat with all these peaks, mm-hmm. and those peaks are all like Hacker News submissions. I put a new interview yeah. up, the founder posted on Hacker News or somebody else does, and it almost always gets to the top. Yeah, those, I mean, it's all quality content, quality interviews. Like, go just even scrolling through the site right now, I see companies that I recognize, like Sidekick. Um, Sidekick, I Levels. I think I've seen Submit Hub before. It's like, it's dope. And it's good content. So, did you also launch on Product Hunt whenever it was initially released? Or? Yeah, accidentally. Well, accidentally. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Product Hunt. Like, I just never used yeah. it. And then I, like, looked into it. I was like, oh, I should you know, launch on product hunt. There's a lot of people there yep. who probably like it. And then I like read two or three blog posts and every one of them was like the 55 things you need to do to launch on product hunt. And I was like, all right, well, screw that. Like I'm just yep. not. I, <laughs> I feel you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, I got to number one on product hunt accidentally. And I was just like, this is kind of wild, but, that and now everybody's like, it's so serious. I'm just like, I literally hacked up something over the weekend, launched it on Product Hunt, got to number one, and it looked like crap. But now everybody takes it mad seriously because you have to make sure you're launching at just the right time. Yeah, it's like all this stuff. I didn't want to deal with it. And it, and it yeah. turned out okay because someone else who was like a Product Hunt moderator, I don't even know how it works, like ended up yeah. doing it all for me on Sunday uh, without any input from me. So. I ended up getting to like number one on Product Hunt like three or four days after I launched. Without yeah, someone see? tweeted me about it. I didn't it's, even know. It's like another launch. It was tight, tight. Yeah. Um, so like, walk me through the process of, um, like, what do you think is the most technically complicated thing that you had to do while building Indie Hackers? Because um, I feel like there has to be a lot of like there has to be something impressive going on under the hood. Because what what made you choose building out the backend in Node.js oh. rather than just like doing <laughs> using like a content management system like other people? I'm like that programmer were. that every other programmer hates on because they're always like, oh, you could do it simply, and I'm just like trying to use the shiniest, coolest, yep. newest. Like, I knew when I was building the site, like one of the compromises, I made like a list of all the things for all my ideas that I wanted to go with. I made a list, and one of them was like, uh-huh. how fun would it be to code. And unfortunately, Indie Hackers was like at the very bottom. It was like just a content site. So it's yeah. like, all right, I'm just going to be putting text on a page. There's like nothing fancy about coding this. So I decided that, you know what, I'm going to make it fancy anyway, just just for my own sake, because I think yeah. it would be more fun to work on. So I was like, I'm going to make the entire thing an Ember app, which is a single page app. So, you know, it'll be. Is it server rendered? Uh, yeah, so it's server. You using Fastboot? Yeah, I'm using Fastboot. What? Yo, I got to tell Tom about this. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so I just decided I'm going to use Fastboot. I can render it on the server, and that way, like all the HTML will come in and uh, immediately. When the you know there won't be like a loading screen. And for that, I've got to use Node.js and Express. Yeah. And for that, I need to host it somewhere. Like so, I picked AWS. And so I did a lot of stuff that I hadn't done before. Like I never used um, Elastic Beanstalk in AWS, for example. Yeah. Um, so there's really nothing like that needs to be complex. 
everything that's complex on IndieHackers.com is, is entirely me just like fucking around and trying to have fun. Yeah, I feel yeah. that. I feel that. So let's talk about this back end. So are you deploying the back end and the front end separately or is it like just all like in one node application? It's like all the same, basically. So even the back end is like I really don't have a database. I've got all of my interviews are done like they're just JSON files and markdown files. What? For content. And so whenever I deploy my Ember app, they're just like in the public folder as like just files that get loaded up uh, nice. by Ember data. The only thing that's kind of dynamic is the forum. I'm using yep. Firebase for the back end for that. So this is really – so let's talk about what I find interesting about this is that this is very lean in the implementation of it. Because here I am thinking that you have this whole back end node service built out, but you're just like, no. nah, dog, I'm using static JSON files and markdown rendering. And that's really impressive. I thought you had a whole complicated back end to it. No, and I, this I did is... not want to build like an admin panel for like editing interviews. And wow. Stuff. Okay. That's very interesting. I'm going to have to pick your brain after this because I've been trying to do some fast boot things. but uh, And this changes the game. Game a little bit. I mean, don't you just order foodie, honey? <laughs> you know, nah. <laughs> you know, nice, nice. Um, so, hmm, I'm trying to think. So, well, yeah, so go ahead, Romeo. While, while is thinking about like the all the nitty gritty of your Amber app, me, what I'm more curious about. So, <laughs> how exactly? I'm just more curious about like people's day to day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you say like most of the most of the time, what you do is essentially kind of like work on indie hacker per se right mm-hmm. and that's kind of what's uh sustaining you at the moment and i'm just curious when you say working on indie hacker what does that consist of is that like doing interviews seeking out doing research a lot of stuff so i actually just i was kind of curious about this myself i was like what does my day-to-day look like uh so i started using toggle uh time tracker to, like track every single thing that i'm doing so whenever i switch tasks oh i love that what's, what's that app called Toggle. Toggle. I use Toggle. it for contracting work. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's like so I, I use like a few different time trackers, and like all of them were like all these features that I didn't need and were too complex. And then Toggle is the only one I've used that's like exactly what I need. I just need to start a timer, say what I'm working on, and stop it, and then like put it in different categories. So I haven't actually like looked at all my hours quite yet, but I do have this giant to do list I keep. It's like a weekly to do list where I copy it every week of things that need to get done, uh, basically every week, and. The majority of my time goes towards like the different areas of the site. So for interviews, mm-hmm. it's like you said, I spend a lot of time uh, on outreach trying to find people to interview. Um, I also get a lot of inbound interviews, but like not necessarily enough that I can just completely forget about reaching out. So every week I try to send out like five or six requests to people who would be interested in the interview uh, and see if they want to be interviewed. Then I have to actually conduct the interviews, which is mostly sending out a template over email. But yeah. usually people respond. I spend like an hour or two per interview like editing it or sending follow-up questions and getting it looking good before I put it on the site. Uh, yeah. And there's all sorts of other things like content marketing. I'm trying to get the word out about indie hackers yeah. constantly so I can get more and more traffic because I'm not going to be able to make money from sponsors unless I have a lot of good, high-quality traffic. And unfortunately, relying on Hacker News completely is not a good strategy because they're already penalizing me for posting on that site too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a lot of content marketing stuff, researching like how to do... SEO. I've got a blog, yep, so yep. like adding to my blog, which is actually it's, it's in this like timeline format that I, I got from these guys at Hubstat. They did the same mm-hmm. thing for their blog. So you can actually go to my blog on indiehackers.com slash blog and see a timeline of like August 11th, I launched. And then yeah, I, just, I, I was oh, looking at wow. that earlier. Yeah, um, I've got like a little note for every single thing that happened. Here's when I got to a thousand mailing list subscribers. Here's is this a JSON file too? Uh, yep. <laughs> Dope. Entirely. Every one of these little timeline events is its own JSON file. That's impressive. Actually, I just finally figured out what I was going to say, but um, I'll like save it for after you're done. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think a lot of my time gets spent on like the blog the forum I added, and I spend a lot of time in the forum. I try to respond to like, every single post that anyone makes so the forum doesn't feel dead. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time on Twitter talking to people, finding good articles to, that are related to like you know, startups and marketing and development so I can tweet them out to people. I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. on design and adding features. Like right now, I'm completely redesigning the way that the interviews themselves look just to make it a little bit better. Yep. Trying to mm-hmm. increase conversion rates for the mailing list, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like definitely a full-time job. Uh, but at the same time, if I wanted to just like stop working on it, I think I could probably run the site in like four or five hours a week doing nothing but the interviews and the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. That's tight. Nice. So you you actually just mentioned a good thing, like you mentioned redesigning the website. Let's talk about this because the design on so you are both 
you do it all right you have a really clean design on indiehackers.com that i really like think is very just aesthetically pleasing and actually talk to me about that you're the designer you're the developer you're everything how'd you get a how'd you learn to get this good how'd you get the skills to get to this level of being able to design these products yeah i started off as a web designer so when i was a kid like in middle school we were talking earlier about like doing html you know before css even existed like i was constantly yeah. as a kid making websites and i didn't you know how to fireworks <laughs> I mean, yeah. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to code back then. Besides, I mean, I don't even consider. I just did HTML, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, what I was obsessed with was like all these other people making HTML websites and how much better theirs looked than mine. And so, I was constantly on all these design sites, like trying to make websites look good. And I think like a lot of developers are afraid of design. Like, I'm not good at it. So yeah. Therefore, I'm never going to be good at it. So I'm not even going to try. But yeah, I think it's like anything else. You just try yeah. yeah you practice like look at like go to dribble.com there's a ton of good looking designs try to copy them try to figure out yeah. what makes them look good and you know learn the theory read a book or two yeah, or three yeah, just you practice know? it and i think a lot yeah. of people don't practice so i think you know i got my start designing and it was just a process of, of spending years and years trying to be a web designer that is and t- as for the other stuff like programming and I went to school for computer science, and I yeah. was constantly working on projects there. And then, like, the sysadmin type stuff, which I'm not great at, as evidenced by the fact that my server is constantly go down. But it's just yeah. out of necessity. Like, launching different startups and projects, they have to be hosted somewhere. And I would always, yep, try, yep. I'd always try to do a little more advanced than I did the previous time. Yeah. That's yeah. tight. That's tight. Let me think. Let me think. Oh, right. Um, I wanted to add on to the whole content marketing. Like, I was wondering, have you ever posted indie hackers to Reddit? Per se, like entrepreneur, like the startup subreddit or the entrepreneurship or entrepreneur subreddit. I have. So when I launched in August, I posted it there. Or I think someone else posted it there actually, and it, it did really well. It was like on the front page of like the entrepreneur subreddit for a while. Mm-hmm. Reddit, kind of like Product Hunt, is, is something I'm not nearly as familiar with as I am yeah. with Hacker News. Like I understand exactly how Hacker News works, what types of content people like mm-hmm. there, like the culture there. With Reddit, it's enormously more complex because there's all these different subreddits. And so, like, I've spent, like, a lot of time looking at subreddits to try to figure yeah. out, okay, which ones are the most relevant? Like, what do people like? And it's one of the things that I'm trying to do more this month is, like, how do I get, you know, these interviews to succeed and do really well mm-hmm. on Reddit? But right now, it's, like, not a significant driver, excuse me, of traffic. Nice, nice. Okay. That was a curious uh, or a question I had. So, thank you. Hmm. Man. So, I guess, like... So I think you you mentioned like uh, that you were focusing a lot on content marketing. Any so I guess my question is just going to be like uh, two questions back to back, mm-hmm. right? So what is the thing that you're working on right now that you believe is either the most important or the most challenging? And I guess let's answer that question. For some reason, I forgot the first one. So, like, okay. which one is either the most challenging or which one do you see as being the most important that you're going to try and attack right now? Most important is almost definitely, like, content marketing and SEO type stuff. I think, mm-hmm. so I like any hackers, like, I don't charge money for anything on the site. There's nothing to charge for. Maybe mm-hmm. if the forum gets to the point where it's, there's, like, so many people joining, there's all sorts of spam comments, I can put a price tag on it, like Peter did for Nomad List. But right now, yeah. like, the thing that, that keeps the site alive that, allows me to get sponsorships is, is just visitors. And so I need to constantly put out content, but even more importantly than putting out content, I need to tell people tell people about it so that they actually know about it. Uh, so I think the most important thing is just trying to find out places on the internet that I can share mm-hmm. indie hackers and hopefully people there will appreciate it and come and join my mailing list. Uh, maybe of equal importance, and I didn't talk about this earlier, is automation. So yeah. one of the guys on my site, Mike Carson, yep. started this website, park.io. And he, yeah. like me, is like a single founder, except, you know, I'm making a thousand bucks a month. He's making $125,000 a month from his startup as a single founder. And he wrote in this interview that he has like every part of his business is completely automated. And it feels yeah. to him like he's got 50 employees constantly working. Right now, tasks are indie hackers. It's not very automated at all. It's mm-hmm. like a lot of content editing and content production, writing blog posts, posting on the forum, sending out tweets. It takes up a lot of time. And if I wanted to mm-hmm. continue running the site, like, I would probably have to hire someone, you know, or at least outsource, like, editing the interviews and running the site. So I think mm-hmm. in the long term, what's important for me personally is figuring out a way to, like, automate more of these processes 
or maybe like having crowdsourced mm-hmm. or something. So, you know, no matter what happens to me, or no matter what I want to work on, indie hackers yeah. can continue continue on. And for some things, that'll be easier than others. Like, all right, if it gets to the point where like I'm, you know, quote unquote, done working on the site, then the timeline doesn't really need any new entries on it. Uh, if the forums get popular mm-hmm. enough, they're kind of self sustaining. People keep making threads, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the biggest thing is just the interviews, editing them, making sure that they, you know, yeah. read well and they're actually interesting, finding people to do interviews, and also the newsletter, sending out, like, a newsletter every week. Right now, it's, like, super personal and customized, and I just talk about what I'm doing on my newsletter. I don't know if there's a way yeah. to automate that. I could just make it, like, yeah. links to interviews, but it's not as engaging. Yeah. It's, and, I mean, yeah. it's just, like, and that's just, like, one part. Uh, of what you do so maybe that's maybe one of the few things that you can not automate right yep yep but this is all like many 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 months away like i see myself working on this for the foreseeable future just because it's fun nice yeah is uh park.io the like probably the most like the highest earning in terms of revenue on the site I don't think it's the highest. The highest is Tracken, which is like this food delivery company. Oh. Uh, it's Park.io. They're, they're very different. Like Tracken ended up, Bruno, the founder, ended up raising money. He actually went through YC uh-huh. uh, well after he started his business, but he did. He's got like a whole team. It's just a little bit different. Uh, they're making yeah. similar amounts of money, but like Mike Carson and Park.io, for example, doesn't have to pay any employees and he doesn't owe yep. investors any money. So I think that interview in particular resonated with a lot of people just because it's inspiring to see one guy making that kind of money. Yeah, like really inspiring. Like, that's a million dollars a year. Yeah. Or, like, over a million. Yeah, it's a million and a half, basically. Yeah. So. That's wild. Um, Romeo, you got anything else? Uh, me? Yes, sir. Oh, well, so, I, I you, uh, you guys were talking about, like, the product itself that I just wanted, I just wanted, um, I just wanted to give you guys space uh, to speak. But... <laughs> So now, I mean, so for me, since, like, I'm not necessarily coding, right? Yeah. And most of, like, the, most of, like, the Amber discussion kind of, like, I understood, like, I picked up a few words here and there, right? I understand, like, uh, server, like, service, uh, serve, being served from the server, uh, JSON file markdown, all those things I'm very familiar with. Uh, but as far as, like, um, understanding exactly what it meant, because you any high kind of went into like some sort of like i guess i wouldn't say a trance but it's like, it's like the matrix <laughs> yeah matrix. exactly you're just like you went into your own world but for me i'm actually more curious about like the your time at yc since um mm-hmm. while people talk about their experience at yc um you were i think it was you and just two people right two people it's working on it and you're the yeah me and one co-founder the, yeah you and one co-founder and you're the main coder right mm-hmm and you spent three months there. So my understanding, so I, when you go to YC, you kind of still have to, like, bootstrap yourself. You have to have – you pay for your own living. They just yeah. provide you with guidance and mentorship and whatnot. Yeah, when we when we went, it was, I think, like seventeen or $18,000 was the deal that we got. And then, like, halfway through our batch, mm-hmm. this uh, Russian investor, Yuri Milner, like – gave YC a whole bunch of money to give all the startups a lot more money. So they ended up giving us like $150,000, uh, which is why we were able to keep working on Task Force for so long. Oh, nice. Okay, that was That's like nice. uh, essentially undiluted capital? So like uh, no, I think we no got, strings attached? Or did you yeah, get yeah, like a Yeah, it was undiluted. Percent? It was like, I'm trying to remember the exact structure of the investment. I think it was just like a, a note. Okay. And so when you were working on Task Force at the time, did you have any, was it just like, uh, I have these lists of features and I'm just going to try and work on each one? Uh, Did you do like a GTD getting things done kind of approach? Or did you go like full scrum, like any particular way that you thought about? I had no process. I was just a lot of coffee, a giant list, you know, putting, ordering things on the list in terms of what I wanted to do first. And mm-hmm. then I think, you know, at most, breaking them into bite-sized chunks so I can make sure I could do one every week so that we had something yeah. new to report for office hours. Uh, and so, like, was those, were those lists, when you were making, like, the prioritization of the list, was it just, like, based on gut-level instinct, or did the partners have some sort of influence on that and how much? Yeah, they had a lot of influence. I think 
Nick and I would sit down, my co-founder Nick and I would sit down and like think about, okay, well, what are we going to do to grow? Like, what does a product need? And we would talk mm-hmm. to our users too because they were constantly requesting features. And so, I, and in YC, it's like you're the founder. Like those kind of decisions are up to you. And generally, you will just go and you talk to the partners, and they'll say, okay, like I see your reasoning and I agree with it or I disagree with it. Although brainstorm with you and try to help you in any way that they can, but it's not like they're building your app for you or telling you exactly what it is that you need to do. Like you're very much running your own. Uh, your own business. At the time, I think the thing that we cared about more than anything was growth. Yeah. We wanted to figure out what can we do to get more people in the door so we can grow this thing to be this huge monster of a company. In hindsight, like we probably should have focused a lot more on retention so that our users were like, to make sure that our users are happy and coming back and they stuck. And also retention is pretty much essential for growth. It's like if you don't have retention, it's like pouring water and a colander. Right? It's just going to fall out of yeah. the holes and it's really, really, really difficult to grow. Um, but those are just things that you learn uh, with experience. So during your time at YC, what would you say, what's one takeaway or one or two takeaways that you still carry with you um, or that you encounter when you're working on a day-to-day basis, if that's actually, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think probably the biggest takeaway I have from YC is not to underestimate networking. Mm-hmm. there's just a ton of founders in YC and like, I really wish we had done a better job. Like I would spend so much time coding. Like I didn't like, we had a really big class too. I think we had like 40 companies, which is probably mm. like 80 or hundred founders. I didn't meet as many people as I could have. And I can see like today, like even, even now, like five or six years later, people from my class were like hanging out with each other and working on business things, uh, business deals with each other and startups with each other. And in a way, like I didn't milk that for as much as I should have. But still, the YC network is super valuable. There's like this private YC social network called Bookface where you can like ask anybody a question and they'll help you or they'll make introductions for you. So I think networking, like, you know, if, you're, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by people who are smart or talented or have some sort of valuable skill, like, do everything in your power to like, to, to just meet these people and to hang out with them because it's going to be valuable forever. Uh, number two yeah. thing, probably just the importance of, of having an external influence. This mm-hmm. is something that you mentioned earlier that like, helped me launch. Like Having those weekly meetings at, for office hours like made me work harder than I've ever worked before. And I thought I worked pretty hard at MIT, but like I was really efficient and really focused. With Andy Hackers, for example, I kind of mimicked that by my weekly newsletter. My uh, yeah. Every week, every Thursday morning, I send out a newsletter to everybody, and like, I feel this internal pressure every single week that like, I have to have some sort of interesting development to share with everybody on my newsletter. And so like every week it's like, okay, I've got to get this feature done. I've got to redesign this page. I've got to like hit these traffic numbers. And I think it really motivates me to have forward progress rather than stagnating. Uh, and I hope that Indie Hackers itself also, you know, helps people to become more social and, and do the same. Cause there's so many people working on projects alone, you know, by themselves that nobody else knows about and they're not showing it to anybody and they're not talking about it. And I think it's, it's like, psychologically very difficult to do and it's also just not as effective like it's good to get yeah. feedback it's good to talk yeah. to people um and that's one of the reasons i added a forum to indie hackers so anybody working on something could come share what they're doing no matter how far away it is from being finished and get like feedback from other people who are doing the same thing nice word 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 um so i guess like a few if you have uh, a couple more minutes just a few more uh questions from um uh, that I'm personally uh, <clears throat> curious about. So, if and so, what do you, what do you typically read? Do you go like is it more blogs? Is it more books? Mm-hmm. Are you an audiobook kind of guy? I'm just curious. I read a lot of blogs, just because I'm on my computer all the time. Uh, I do read books, but most of the books that I read are like reading like pop psychology books. Like I think yeah. Book which one like, is uh? Which two one favorites? Has your attention lately? Yeah, go ahead. Uh... So, yeah, I don't want to say my two favorites. I like Steven Pinker a lot. He's okay. uh, this like psychologist from, from Harvard. He writes a lot of awesome stuff, and he's a super smart dude. I like this book, Influence, by Robert Cialdini. It's uh, all about like, how to influence people. He, like, yeah, I've been meaning to read that one. It's really good. It's awesome. Uh, I like Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Mm-hmm. I think that explains a lot of how society works and how people work. Uh, yeah, I just read a lot of psychology. I like Charlie Munger. He's got... This book called Poor Charlie's Almanac. He's Warren Buffett's business partner. He's been working with Warren Buffett since oh, like yeah. 1950 or 1960 or something. 
Super I mean, smart guy. guy who has really a, wise. Like the mental model, right? Exactly, yeah. He's got all the different mental models. He's this chapter in his book called The Psychology of Misjudgment where he talks about him. Anything that deals with like psychology and like how people think, I find personally like really fascinating. And I'm, I'm always like perplexed at like why we didn't learn anything about this in schools because it's like it's about your brain and how your <laughs> brain works, you know. And we know a lot yeah. of stuff, and and we don't really you know, necessarily communicate that to to everyone. So I find that stuff really fascinating. But in terms of like startups and marketing and all this online business stuff, I read a lot of a lot of blogs. I read Twitter a lot. I listen to some podcasts. Recently, I've been trying to find podcasts, you know, in, in the same space that I'm in because I'm considering doing a podcast for indie hackers. So I'm trying to listen to you know people who like yourselves who are interviewing others and doing a good job of it uh, to see you know what kind of work is involved and whether or not it's something that I could do. Yeah. Okay. Tight. Tight. How do you like SF so far? Yeah, well, actually, you've been, you've why been there for like a while? Yo, yeah, like I don't know why. Years. Like what? Like outside the startup scene, what really drew drove you to SF? Because I had a choice between San Francisco and New York City, and I chose New York City just because you know I like culture and diversity. Yeah. So uh, I'm not gonna lie. I think New York City is a way cooler city. Yeah, I, right. I went to school like MIT's in Boston, and I yeah not that far from New York, but I only ended up going to New York twice while I was in college. Oh and man. Once was like for a day. We just kind of walked yeah. around the city and didn't do anything. And the other one time I went to Long Island, I was barely even in New York. Uh, <laughs> that said, I decided to move to SF because I came out here for that internship. And then I remember working on Cipher in Boston. And, like, I just never ran into anyone who knew anything about startups or cared about it. And then I came to SF. I think the first month I was here, like, I just, like, would arbitrarily run. Like, every single coffee shop, people were just talking about startups, talking about programming, talking about the latest framework or whatever. And it just felt like a place where I could get really excited about this kind of stuff. And I could talk to people and they would understand. And, you know, I was, I was just hooked. And then from there, it's like I've made a lot of friends out here. I, like, work jobs out here. And so it's, you know, my girlfriend lives here. I live with her, too. So moving to New York is not much of an option. That said, my, my twin brother, who lived with me for the most of the time I was out yeah. here, just moved to New York City with his girlfriend. Oh, what? So, yeah. Shoot. So I'm going to be in New York a lot. Uh, yo, tell yo, come through. <laughs> I should. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm gonna be there for know. Christmas. I'll probably be there next summer, at least maybe the spring too. So, dope, dope. I'll hit you guys yeah. up. Sounds up. Well, I'm here. Romeo's not here yet. <laughs> yeah, <did laughs> he ever moves yet? out of here. I'm in Dayton, Ohio. It's I know, right? Chill. Actually, yeah, I know. Chilly. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But yo, I don't know, Cortland. Any last uh, suggestions or advice that you may have to our listeners that you want to provide? Yeah. Uh, my advice to your listeners is I'm not sure exactly what it is that everyone's doing, but if you've at all considered starting a business or making money on your own, then you should check out Indie Hackers. You should read the form. You should read some of the stories. Sometimes it seems daunting, especially if you don't have any programming skills, but like, honestly, there's a lot of people that I've interviewed who aren't programmers or who had never started a company on their own before, and today they're making like ten or $15,000 a month from their, their business. It's not easy. Like, there's a lot of hurdles. But there's also a lot of resources online, so like, mm-hmm. if it's something that interests you, you should dive in. You should start reading, and don't hesitate to tweet me or email me or post on the Indie Hackers forum asking for help and advice. There's a ton of people out there who are awesome and who really embrace transparency. Yeah. Um, oh, that's another thing I want to say. Transparency is huge. The Would default they- thing that people want to do when they start a company is to like be secretive about everything. Like. I don't yeah. want to tell anybody my idea. Yo, let's talk, about, let's talk about this because you just raised a good point. <laughs> How often do you get people approaching you saying, I have a really good startup idea. I'm just like, oh, want to tell me about it? Not until you, after you sign an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. No, that's crazy. Like, If you have a startup idea, don't ask people to sign an NDA for it. Don't do any of that stuff. You should go 100% yeah. in the opposite direction, actually. Tell everybody what you're working on. Tell them how much money you're making. At the end of the day you're probably going to be okay and it's probably going to get you a lot more yeah. attention. I think people underestimate like how hard it is to get attention. They think I'm just going to build this thing and everyone's going to think it's awesome and then they launch it and nobody gives a shit. I think one of the things that works in the favor of a lot of yep, people that yep. I've interviewed and for any hackers itself is like just being transparent and open. Like if you're willing to say here's what I did today and here's what worked and here's what didn't work and here's how much money I'm making. Yeah. Like instantly there's like many thousands of people who want to read more because they're so curious about what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes so 
my other advice to, to people is don't be secretive unless you have some really, really good reason. Uh, instead, go the other action. Be transparent. Tight. So dope. Nice. So great. Romeo, I'm going to propose that we uh, do a two black nerds plus one and bring on Cortland as like the third black nerd. <laughs> I think he'd be a good fit. <laughs> But nah, yo. It's like, I mean, no, I I, re- I really do. Enjoy, I did enjoy this interview, and I'm yeah. probably afterwards. I'm probably gonna hit you up as far as like uh, book recommendations on pop psychology because that's something that myself I've been looking into uh, as far as like all the um, things like confirmation bias and things like that. All that, right. Uh, that I've been kind of reading about and kind of like trying to understand how that plays out in my life personally. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I'm going to hit you up just to talk about technical things because I don't really get to talk about this stuff with people that much. So, yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I just thought about this. An yeah, idea for content. You can just like literally just post the structure of your site because like it seems yeah. like Ehan was kind of fascinated by it based on... That's because I'm a nerd. ...all the assumptions <laughs> that he was making. But yeah. I yeah, know. I should. I'll, I'll write a blog post about it and put it on my timeline. Tight, tight. Well, I think we should wrap this up so like, uh, we can let you go about your evening. But thank you so much for your time. been really awesome. Uh, All right. This is, uh, yeah, man. Thanks so for having me on, guys. It was really anytime, fun talking. man. Anytime. And if you know anybody else that wants to be on Two Black Nerds, you know, let us know. We'll get them on the show. All right, for sure. Yeah, and this has been another episode of Two Black Nerds. On Ami Hayakachuku on the mic, and on the other mic we have Romeo Quiangana. Romeo I crew Romeo on Twitter, and uh, for Cortland, what, where can people see more of your stuff? Yeah, andyhackers I write a lot on the blog. Or follow me on Twitter at, at cs allen a l l e n. Yep, and you can find me at Kuchu, that's K-W-U-C-H-U on Twitter, and follow us, follow us at 2 And if you have any questions, you can email us at hello at 2blacknerds.com. It's been another episode. Until next time, peace. Yeah,